This reading is a short memory written by Reverend Paul Sawyer, who is uh, one of my colleagues in Unitarian Universalist Ministry, who's been serving in Heartland Four Corners, Vermont, for, I think, almost as long as I have been here. And his sister uh, has sometimes been a member of this congregation, so we're all connected. Paul writes, The first time I ever played taps was at summer camp when I was 10 years old. That was the year I started playing trumpet. So I can only imagine how it sounded. I know there was no way I could have hit that high note near the end. The first time I played taps in honor of those who had died was in high school when I was contacted by the local legion commander. He asked if I would mind occasionally being called on to play taps at graveside services for veterans, and I agreed. For the next couple of years, when there was a need, I would take my place with the Legion Honor Guard, wait for the three volleys of shots to ring out, and then play the simple 24 notes of taps as clearly and as best I could. Each time, the Legion commander would quietly slip me a $10 bill, And that was about all taps meant to me for a while. It was easy to do. It got me out of school. And I earned a little money. And then one day that changed. The man I was called upon to play for that day was the father of one of my Boy Scout leaders. Back then, like most of the adults I knew, I thought my assistant scoutmaster was pretty old. But his father was a World War II veteran, so thinking back, that means that both my leader and his father were actually relatively young, too young for their places that morning as honored dead and grieving son. That day, as I began to play taps, this man who I knew as wise and kind and relatively hard on the old boy, Boy Scouts, wilderness leader sort of person, fell to his knees when I played taps, overwhelmed by tears. I'm not sure how I made it through the whole piece that day, but after that I thought I might not be able to play it again. Today, whether I'm plaguing it or hearing it, taps means something close to what it once meant, to the reasons for which it was written and originally used. Once upon a time, taps was a signal that the camp was safe, relatively safe. It meant that you were not under siege or under attack of any kind. It meant that you were reasonably sure that there were no enemy soldiers to worry about, in at least a bugle's call distance away. To a whole camp of soldiers, the notes of taps meant, unless you're on duty, you could close your eyes. You could sleep in peace. I didn't know that story or that sentiment all those years ago when I played taps for pocket money in the local cemetery. But in that meaning of taps... Something speaks to me in my heart and soul about dying and for those of us who remain 
about remembering well. This week, I was standing in the kitchen of the parsonage next door. I think I was getting my lunch ready, and Yvonne, our office administrator, came in and said, the usual casualness, so how does the pacifist honor the soldier? I thought, oh... This is why I love having you here. <laughs> you know, she's putting together the, new, the newsletter <clears throat> announcements, news, and that is that is the question she is brewing on, and aware that 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 is one of the tensions that many churches and certainly Unitarian Universalist churches grapple with on this Memorial Day. There are many of us many of whom have served in active duty, who also want to put all of our energy toward peace because that might be the best way to honor those who have died and those who have served. And how do we hold these two things together that can be hard to hold together? How do we make sure our hearts are big enough to hold all of it. <clears throat> well, one of the ways that I begin to do that is to go back and find those origin stories, just like the reading from Paul Sawyer about where does taps come from? Why does that little song mean what it means to us? And why do we use it the way we use it? And then, after looking at where it started from, see how we live into it now. So one of the other stories that I try to remember every Memorial Day, and I know I've told this story before, but I find that I forget it. So I'll tell it again so that we'll all hold on to it. There are, of course, many origin stories for Memorial Day. It started in different places for different reasons, and they slowly converged until in 1971 it was declared a federal holiday. So that's either, depending on where you are in the time scale, that's either a fairly recent holiday or an old holiday. <clears throat> One of the early origin stories comes from the Civil War, when the war had ended and the African-American people in the South were now free, or that story is complex too, so we'll just say they were now free. And some of the people in Charleston, South Carolina, knew that a number of Union soldiers had been held in a racetrack in their town and had died there and been buried without much dignity. And so thousands of African-American people went to the racetrack and reburied some people and decorated the graves and had, in some ways, a funeral service there 
that hadn't been performed to honor the soldiers who had fought to free them. And it was at the same time a time to be grateful that the war was over, that the violence was ended, and that liberation had come. A, a complicated mix of honoring, setting things right, and in some way of celebrating that peace had come, and that peace had come with some reward for humanity. One historian said, this was the first Memorial Day. African Americans invented Memorial Day in Charleston, South Carolina. What you have there is black Americans recently freed from slavery, announcing to the world with flowers and their feet and songs what the war had been about. They were basically creating an Independence Day of a second American revolution. And there were other Memorial Day honorings that are part of the origin stories of this day. But this is one that I think is easy to lose in our society. And I think it's good to keep telling it over and over again so that we remember that there is a distinctly African-American piece of this day in which we stretch our hearts to hold as much as we can. So this early version of Memorial Day has this gratitude for the fight for liberation. It also holds this deep, as I said earlier, primal honoring of the dead. Honoring and remembering the dead in a very visceral way remembering that they are alive in us in ways that we probably can't fully understand. And this day is a day of honoring principles. In this case, it was the principle that human beings, living beings, should not be enslaved. And as we hear in some of the stories this morning, people fought in wars after that, for other principles, to free people, to end totalitarianism. And we also know that as the wars of the 19th and 20th and 21st century have unfolded, the principles haven't always been as clear as we would like them to be. Sometimes the fighting has not been about setting people free. Sometimes the fighting has been about domination and profit and control. And then it gets difficult to figure out how to hold the soldier and the pacifist together. But it doesn't mean that we can't do it. It just means we have to work together to stretch our hearts. When I went and looked at some of the history of the song Taps, I learned that it was first used as a memorial song as opposed to a You Can Sleep Tonight song when 
uh, a soldier had died, I believe, in the Civil War. And they wanted to bury the soldier, but they were very close to the enemy still. And a bugle call or the firing of uh, guns, as is traditionally done at a military funeral, would certainly have sparked fighting immediately again. And they wanted to be able to bury this soldier without inspiring fighting immediately. So the commander called for this song to be played instead. And in that moment, the war contained within it that creation of peace and rest and respect for human dignity that war seems so counter to. For a moment, that song, that melancholy, tender song, held both the person who had been killed in conflict and the soldiers who were honoring that lost person, and even those who were ready to fight again in a moment of shared humanity to honor our dead, to hold each other tenderly and to hope for peace. And it would appear that there was something so essential about that moment of playing that song instead of just firing guns over someone's funeral, that it stuck and has persisted to the present moment. You will probably hear those 24 notes of that song several times in the next day or two. And there's something, whatever words you might have in your head to hum along to that, to those notes, and there are quite a few different sets of words, just the notes themselves seem to touch into our humanity and to our sense that we are connected to each other in the midst of all manner of brutality. So when the pacifist and the soldier need to talk, that's our point of obvious connection, that no matter what has happened, we have our shared humanity, and we do, in fact, belong to each other. I heard a journalist talking recently about the difficulty that soldiers have when re-entering civilian society. This is a something that's been talked about in the past couple of years, and you may have heard, in fact, this journalist, Sebastian Junger, talking about this. I think he's, uh, he's telling this story because he thinks we need to know it, and I think he's right. He has been in combat situations as a reporter and has watched what it's like for soldiers and then has talked to them when they're back in this world. And he reports being at a dinner party, in fact, with some soldiers and a a woman asking one of the soldiers if there was anything that he missed about the war. And he was silent for a little while and said, ma'am, I miss just about everything about it. Which sets you back a bit. But he wasn't saying that he missed the fighting. He 
wasn't saying that he missed the possibility that he might die at any moment. This journalist, Sebastian Younger, thinks that what he really misses is the sense that he is, that soldier was completely connected to the people in his unit, that they relied on each other utterly. He calls it, this journalist calls it brotherhood. We have to find another word. It's hard to find the right words for these things. And he says brotherhood is different from friendship. Friendship has to do with if you have things in common and if you get along and how you feel about each other, but brotherhood is the absolute commitment that you will take care of each other no matter what, that you will rely on each other and you know you can rely on each other through anything, that you would give up your life for the other people in your group. And that that is such a powerful experience that when people come back from war and are then in society where the government who has agreed to care for them after they fight can't quite figure out how to do that. So they're pretty clear that they can't depend on the system that said it would help them. And then they're in families and churches and all sorts of situations where they're not sure if people will really care for them and if they can actually rely on each other and if probably if they'll be able to help other people in the way that they want to, given the traumas that they've come through. So they are in the middle of war, which is a horrible violence, and in the center of the war is held this sense of belonging to each other. And then they leave that and come back to this situation of peace and aren't sure if they belong to any of us. It's a terrible bind for the soldier and the people trying to live in peace to meet each other. And it is that belonging to each other that we need most in the world. And it is, I think, part of why we get into these violent conflicts that we're trying to figure out how we belong to each other. Is it just people in our country who belong to each other, and so we have to fight other people so that we can belong to each other? Do we fight on other people's behalves because they belong to us? I don't have answers to those questions. But you did hear it from Obama's uh, visit in Japan this week a little bit. He talked about uh, how various countries have participated in the violence of trying to dominate each other and that trying to come back from that. Another sort of ancient primal urge to dominate each other and find this other just as essential quality of knowing that we belong to each other is the work of our lives now. The reason that people in war can remember that they belong to each other is partially because they get trained and partially because the intensity of the situation is so high that it strips away a whole lot of pretense about 
preferences and whether you agree about things and who said the right thing and who said the wrong thing. And sometimes when people get left alone and bored for too long, that stuff comes back up. So in our daily lives, when things, well, when we like to pretend things aren't that intense, we can get distracted by the most superficial parts of our lives. What we look like, how we present on a given day, what we like about things, our particular quirks and mannerisms, and and push each other away and away and forget that we belong to each other. So maybe we just have to play taps every day. Find those things that just sneak past all of our thinking and protections. Just get around the side of that and touch into that place where we remember that we do belong to each other. I think that's what my colleague was hearing when Taps moved him so much at that cemetery for the first time, when he watched his mentor, this very old man, who he thought had all kinds of experience and strength and capacity, and he watched that man melt with grief and with the awareness that we do belong to each other and sometimes we lose each other. And also in that song, the longing for safety, for an end to dangers, for peaceful sleep in a world that feels so threatening. And so it is that our peaceful world holds alienation. And the military, this system of aggression in our world, carries within it a tender song that reminds us of the deep human need for peace and lives of dignity and belonging.